0: Welcome TTB community. I am Bob DeMena and here with me as always okay. is the serpentine Elliot Shibley. Does that make sense? I, no, no not really. It doesn't? No. I mean so? it, it, it's an adjective,
1: yeah. But it means doesn't it mean just like super like windy, cunning? Okay. Complex. So it, it's more of like the personality of a snake. Is a snake cunning? I, apparently I don't, I don't think they have personalities, to be honest. Well, why
0: would it be called serpentine then? Serpents. Um, it's a good question. Yeah. But the English language is odd. Okay. All right. Um, what do we have going on today? Well, before we get into that.
1: Yeah. I want to remind you- everyone that the holiday season is literally around the corner. And if you haven't completed your shopping... I highly recommend to go through our website and click our Amazon affiliate link to do your shopping. It supports us and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't cost you anything. So anything you buy helps us out a little bit. So whenever you give a gift to someone else, you're giving a gift to us.
0: All right. So is that all? Is that all you have? That's all I have. I'm keeping it short today. What about the answer to the question? Oh yes. Thank you for reminding me. Mm -hmm. So,
1: The very important question was Pulumi's favorite dish that is also used in a lot of competitions in Africa. And the answer to that is jollof rice. And if you spelled it correctly and emailed us, then you absolutely have the opportunity to win one of our Travelers Blueprint stickers. And that is J-O-L-L-O-F and then rice. Um, So stay tuned to the end of the episode for uh, the trivia question for today's guest, and email us your answer at thetravelersblueprint@gmail.com. at gmail.com. It's on our Instagram
0: and it's also on our website, so you can reach out to us whichever way you need. And Bob, why don't we get into who our guest is today? I will do that. But before I say this, in addition to sending us the right answer, if you live in Africa and you send us some jollof rice, you will get two stickers because it sounds delicious and I really want to try it. All right. So today we had an awesome guest. Uh, he's a Maryland native who now lives in South Africa. He is a biology major, Uh, thought about med school, but quickly realized it just wasn't for him. And it sort of led him to a series of events and opportunities that um, he now focuses on shark conservation and marine wildlife. And we had a really cool conversation about the white shark species, about some of the issues that species is facing in South Africa, and just general shark talk. Um, So without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Dylan Irian. Welcome to
1: the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Dylan, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast.
2: Good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thanks for being here. So Bob and I, like many of our guests, found you through Instagram, looking at awesome travel and wildlife pictures, and that seems to be most of our feed. Uh, For some reason, we don't like to follow humans. Anyway, we came across your page and the Save the Seas Foundation in Cape Rad, and we would like to talk to you today primarily about your research with great white sharks and ocean conservation. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be where
2: you are today. Yeah. Was it the uh the shark breaching photo that you guys found? That one's gone a bit viral. It, it could have been, yeah. I I can look and see.
0: But those photos <laughs> in general, not not just those photos, those videos that were released on what was it, like Shark Week a few years ago. Um that sparked a newfound interest in Great White Sharks for me. I think it did for a lot of people because before they went before those videos went that mainstream, I don't think anybody realized that they do, cool? that they gained that oh, much yeah. air. And Hmm. I don't know. I don't think I did uh, until that.
2: Well, that's one of the the unique things about sharks in Southern Africa. It's one of the only places that we we see them do that breaching. Um, So, yeah, my work is uh, is a population estimate. Um, So we're trying to count something that we, we can't really be guaranteed of seeing every individual of. So we come up with ways of doing that statistically. And uh, we use pictures of their dorsal fins to do it. So we can identify sharks individually by looking at the patterns of notches on their dorsal fins or the pigmentation and things. And then based on how often we see each individual, we basically put it into a model and try to estimate how many there are. So we use photos and then um, I'm also trying to build uh, stronger methods than what we normally use by using some of the tags that we've put out too. So back in 2012, um, OSEarch came out and they've got a big TV show that used to air where they those are the guys with the platform that lift the shark out of the water and give scientists access to the animals with their hands and we can attach tags and stuff. So we put out a lot of satellite tags, we put out some acoustic tags, and those let us track where they swim. And um I think now we're in 2019, a lot of those tags have either fallen off or their batteries have died, which is a bit unfortunate because we kind of need, right now is, is when we need them the most because we haven't seen any in False Bay for uh, the better part of a year now. So we're all trying to figure out where they've gone. Yeah. Well, th-
1: that is interesting because I, th- I was listening or read somewhere about the orcas being in the you know, southern tip of africa mm-hmm. recently and how can, like great white sharks haven't really been around and yeah, there's been a lot of documentation of orcas either corralling and preying on great whites and then mm-hmm. is it true that when great whites died they actually whatever it is in their liver or a chemical is released that basically warns it's not a warning but if other great whites smell it or get that sensation that a great white has died they're like Okay, if a great white's died, I probably shouldn't be in that area. Yeah. I think I'm the apex predator, but clearly I'm not.
2: Yeah, so there's been a lot of work uh, looking into shark deterrence and that kind of thing for a, you know, the human wildlife conflict story, and uh, I know that the the whatever enzymes or matter that is in a dead shark. Has been really successful in scaring off other sharks, so that's probably what's going on. But the, the orca story here is it's actually a really crazy one. There's, um, it's only recent that we've we've started to notice this, and there've been orca sightings along the coastline here for a better part of history. I think there there have been orca for a very long time, but never have we seen any that have developed a taste for shark until these two particular orca. We call them port and starboard because they've got the the floppy dorsal fins, like you see from the the sea world and those guys that have been in captivity. These two, I don't think, I don't know that we actually know if they've been in captivity or not, but I don't think they ever have, but they've developed this taste for shark and we started noticing with cow sharks first and it was 2015, I think. There used to be a really popular dive site where you could go and see 10, 15 of these sharks on any given day. And one day back in May 2015, I think, about six or seven of them washed up dead, and they all had their livers removed. Um, So we didn't know what it was at first, and we started getting reportings of orca sightings around that time and and seeing kind of similar stories along the coast. And it seemed that it was these two orca that were preying on these sharks. And and we saw it then with the white sharks soon after. And for periods of, of months afterwards, you wouldn't see sharks at all. And now we are in 2019 and it's still happening and they're completely gone. So we think it has a big thing to do with with why we're not seeing any, but it's probably a, a combination of things. I'm sure there's other overfishing and that kind of stuff that's playing into it too. And, well, and
1: the work is <coughs> targeted the liver because it's extremely fatty and a good yeah, that's source like of calories. High energy. Yeah. Well, do you so think? The over... the only the
2: liver. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: that is. It's weird that it's only the liver. Like you'd think they, mm. you know, go for the liver and then the rest of it.
0: So they bite and out it's... the liver, and you have this shark
2: wash up on shore with so what we it's torso. Nobody's and... nobody's seen it happen yet. We've seen these two orchid eat other species of shark, and it seems mm. that they kind of go into the shallow water and pin it down and, and grab a hold of it. And then the thinking is that maybe two of them work together and like pull they'd each bite one side of the fin and they'd pull the, the chest cavity open until it pops and the liver comes out. Um, but one of the, the kind of eerie things about wow. it, if that, wasn't, if that wasn't like creepy enough, um, the liver is, is one of the more buoyant organs in the shark's body. So without that, they, they tend to sink to the bottom. And um, I think it's, it's kind of a miracle that we've even seen the five or six that have washed up already. There, there could be tons more that we just don't even see wow that's and so crazy
0: that's incredible do you think that overfishing forced the orcas to change their
2: taste for tasting fish and then focus on um, it's hard yeah it's it's probably got to do with it uh, but we know that in many parts of the world orca are very specialized hunters so they've all got very often unique ways of hunting food you've probably seen the videos of ones that beach themselves and take seals off of the shore like patagonia other ones that will use waves to surge seals and knock them off of icebergs. So it could just be mm-hmm. something that they've kind of figured out here. I just read one story about a killer whale that was regurgitating fish so that seagulls would come and eat the fish and then they'd eat the seagull. Wow, yeah. And they've just they <laughs> figured out this way to get a high energy food source and exploited it. The, the One of the interesting things to me, though, is that um, these orcas that do eat sharks, they often, their teeth get really ground down because shark skin is very coarse, like sandpaper material. And so I imagine that after long enough, these orca aren't going to have any teeth and they won't be able to eat anymore. Kind of like you hear uh, old male lions in the in the deserts here. When their teeth fall out, they're basically, it's a death sentence. They can't eat anymore. And then they, they eventually get kicked out of their pride and, and kind of die alone. So I, I wonder if these, orca like if by eating sharks they're they're reducing their their lifespan sort of interesting interesting yeah and it's only two there's there are other orca here that don't do it there's pods that, that don't seem to care for sharks i know they're doing
0: fine i mean is it a matter of them dying off too and maybe these two orcas then spawning a new generation of great white <laughs> shark hunting orcas well
2: I'll, i know all of the cage diving operators here certainly hope not Yeah. Oh, yeah. And
0: so as far as research goes and trying to catch some, like this orca attack on film, is there a way for you to install underwater cameras permanently or for portions of time? You know, like they do with, you know, when you're trying to track like a snow leopard in the
2: mountains or, you know, a hunter will set up a trap or something. Yeah. Can you put that underwater? Is that a thing? No, the problem with putting things underwater and we have this with a lot of the tags that we put out is that stuff grows on it really quickly. And um, this, this happens in particular with satellite tags. So they very quickly get overgrown by algae and things and fall off or they, they stop working completely. So it'd be really tricky to come up with something that would stay clean enough. But we do put cameras out every once in a while. We call it a baited remote underwater video. And it's a way of kind of observing uh, marine life without putting a person in the water. So when we want to census something and see what how many fish are there? How many sharks are there? We'll drop a camera down and just watch it for an hour. See what swims past.
1: That was uh, used, I think, in the Gulf of Mexico, I want to say, on an oil rig. And they basically had a, a camera. I don't know if it was remote sensed, like if something swam past it. And they got a, a video of the giant squid, which is only like mm. the third or fourth videoed squid sighting in history. Okay. It was, it was awesome. I I mean, those things are huge
2: and rarely seen. I remember a story of one in a harbor or something and the guys, like they just jumped in the water with it and and got that video. I think it's one of those documentary films. That's the footage they've got of that squid.
1: Okay. Yeah. They're interesting, interesting creatures.
2: Yeah. There's a lot that we, you know, they always say we know more about the other side of the moon than we know about our oceans. There's all kinds of stuff down there that we don't,
1: which makes me think maybe there is a megalodon, megalodon. still. Megalodon. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: there's a I just signed up for Disney Plus and there's a show called like Drain Our Oceans. I haven't watched it yet, but um I'm assuming it's about understanding the surface, the ground surface of our oceans. Mm. At least that's how it's being sold. Uh, that would be sure. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I already I've watched a few documentaries on there. We don't need to get into the documentaries on Disney
2: Plus, but right <laughs> For anybody uh, interested, remember, it's out there. <laughs> I remember about a year or two ago going to a conference and they were looking at they had like really high resolution scans of the bottom of the seafloor. And um, it was like the canyon, there's underwater canyons just off the coast here. And they they could see so well even um, what they thought were places where sperm whales had dove down and rubbed their nose into the sand. It was wild. And they wow. had all this from like sonar. They didn't a boat sensed this from the surface, they didn't send anything down to, to, to measure this.
0: Are you familiar with LiDAR te- technology? And if you are, do you mm-hmm. know if it's something that's capable of being used to see through oh. the ocean into, into I, the ground? It probably sort? wouldn't
2: work in, in the ocean because the okay. light okay. attenuates pretty quickly, but they do the same thing with sonar basically.
0: Okay, okay.
2: So that's how they, they measure the seafloor and get these high-res pictures.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, 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 going back to the disappearance of the Great Whites in South Africa, yeah. are there, one, I guess, are there any other theories on why they're disappearing? And if they do ultimately disappear, what impact is that going to have on the ecosystem? Yeah.
2: So, it's, it's, um, it's a question that everybody wants the answer to. And because I'm counting them, I'm kind of positioned to be able to answer that. But I'm, I'm really only for my project looking up data that goes to about, about 2017. But I've got some, some other sources of data, and I, I've looked at it. And what I see so far is definitely we have declining trends in False Bay and the, the sort of southwestern part of the country here. Um, we've also got declining trends in a place called Hans Bay, which is, they call it the White Shark capital of the world. That's where a lot of the cage diving is done. But a little bit further east, Muscle Bay, where I spent a lot of time doing my work, we are seeing an increase in sighting trends. So I tend to think that they're not really disappearing, they're moving a bit more east. And uh, some of the tagging data that we've got shows this too. But again, a lot of those tags, the batteries are running out, or they've run out already, but right now in like the critical time that we need them the most. So hopefully we'll be doing some more expeditions to put, uh, put some tags out there. Um, Yeah. I think they're moving East and whether that is due to the orca eating them, um, I think that's probably a a part of it. I think also that they're probably looking for other sources of food too, because we've simply fished out everything else. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And so where is uh, seal
0: Island? And I don't know if that's the actual name of the Island, but yeah,
2: there's a, there's a couple of them. There's the, the more famous one, which is here in false Bay. Okay. Um, sure the distance from shore but you can see it pretty clearly from a lot of a lot of the high vantage points and that's the bigger one so there's about 40,000 40, cape fur seals I think on that island and that's where in the winter months we used to see the sharks patrolling and doing their breaching i think on any given day at the height of that season you could see like 30 breaches in the morning uh, but there's, so most of these areas where we see sharks that are associated with some kind of seal colony. So there's also a seal island, much smaller one in Mossel Bay. Um, Bay has Dyer Island, where the seals breed in that area. So yeah, a lot of the shark aggregations here are because of some sort of seal colony, but they tend to, the sharks tend to swim and move along the coast pretty freely. Um, but there are, it does seem that like certain sharks prefer certain areas Yeah. And
0: so do you see people rallying behind, uh, this, you know, shark and ocean conservation? I know, you know, in the United States, I have, I don't feel as though we take it nearly as seriously as land conservation and, and Mm. land terrestrial species. Um, there's something about like the, uh, the dissociation with these animals that are underwater and they're not cute and cuddly they don't have the same type of personality that you know a, a, a bear might or it,
2: it you just gotta s- watch
1: you just gotta watch the videos of the guys down at the bottom of the ocean and giving scratches to these like you know, little lemon sharks. <laughs> yeah they're just like yeah. they're just sea dogs
0: well but, so but that that always has bothered me that people don't really seem to care as much about ocean conservation. It's just, you know, especially in the United States where a majority of the country is landlocked and they're not really relying on the oceans for any sort of economic reasons. I don't know. It doesn't ever seem to catch on. And I'm just curious why that is. And I'm wondering in a country that probably relies on it more heavily like South Africa, you know, fishing and things like that. Is there any sort of, uh, uh, momentum yeah this, it's it's something
2: that's been a big story um you know the i think part of it though is um, alarmist stories like this where you, you're all of a sudden saying that you know the sharks have gone extinct or something that is a, a big news story that can sell pretty easily um and I, I also do think that we yeah we've got a community here that is a bit more ocean minded. A lot of people live very close to the, the sea. A lot of people rely on the sea for for their livelihoods here. Um, so yeah, I do think that it's it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, the 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 shark human relationship here is a pretty unique one in that um, there's a huge surfing community in the coast along the coast here in many parts of the coast, and they obviously want to be able to surf safely. Um, and then in uh, kind of alongside of this we've also got the cage diving industry which generates a lot of income and generates a lot of tourism for the country by bringing people in to show them these sharks so there's there's people that that want sharks there's people that don't want sharks there's people that want at least healthy relationships with sharks Um, a scary one for me is that we've got a really cool program here called shark spotters and rather than putting up nets or something to keep the beach users safe they put a spotter on the beach or up high on the mountain looking down over the beach and they can sound an alarm when they see a shark. So it's it's sort of a, a non-lethal way we know we're not killing sharks or excluding them to save the, the humans but we are coming up with a method where we can protect the beach users. but now that there's no you know not very many sightings of sharks anymore, the city wants to potentially defund that that project um, and it's, it's a dangerous thing because we might find that we, we have ourselves a shark attack pretty soon without these guys watching and it's, it's really interesting because we, we have had declines in spite in, in shark, shark of um, shark sightings before. Uh, back in 2010, I think, there was not a complete lack of sightings but a lot fewer sightings than we were used to. And it was just a couple years after that when the sharks started coming back in increased numbers that we had the last fatal attack. So it's it could be something that I think happens again. And without those shark spotters, we're definitely more likely to have something happen.
0: Yeah, it would seem ignorant to just take yeah. that position. But it's a preventative. It's, yeah. it's like having firefighters on call. It's like you know we haven't had a fire in three yeah. years. Let's just get rid of that job. We don't need. <something>. It doesn't seem like
2: a good yeah, idea. Hopefully, me. they're a bit
0: more
1: smarter than
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I don't know. And
1: Some people can be short sighted.
0: So, is, <laughs> was there a high rate of great white shark attacks and fatalities? So, this is, uh, and I mean this, my biggest fear is getting attacked by a shark. <laughs> I don't go in the ocean. Uh, I haven't really gone in the ocean my whole life. I know it's minus
1: now, the time you went diving with sharks.
0: But that was in a cage. <laughs> that was in Hawaii. It was in a cage in Hawaii, and they were Galapagos sharks. And so, still. Apparently, they're not very aggressive. Uh, you could, Dylan, you could tell me otherwise. Maybe just don't tell me. Well, otherwise. I don't know. There's a lot
2: of people that, these like shark huggers almost, that make it their life's goal to campaign for sharks. And they say, oh, sharks are, we don't need to be scared of them. They're not dangerous. Um, to, a, to an extent, I agree that we need to understand sharks more. But they are dangerous. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go, um, you know, wouldn't want to spend a lot of time in the water with a shark. I've had the experience and it was enough for me. (laughs) So you (laughs) free dove
0: with great whites?
2: You're not allowed to. It's not something that um, you're supposed to do, but I've been in the water and a shark has swam past. So I've got two stories and one is a bit old now. One's a bit old. So I've kind of started to question, you know, memory is hazy. Um, enough people were like, oh, did that really happen that I've kind of started to question it myself. But the the second story is definitely true. Oh, okay, I'll start with the first one. Um, so we, I can't remember why we were on the water to begin with, but part of um, the job that I had was, we we're out on the water, um, we take pictures of the sharks for the research, but we do other things too. And I think, yeah, we were we were collecting smaller sharks we get benthic cat sharks, so they're, they're really tiny things that you can put in a, um, in a tank. <laughs> and uh, we were collecting them for the aquarium that this company had. And it was, it was like an overcast day. I remember just thinking, like, if there was one day that I did not want to be in the water, it was that day. Everything seemed to point to it being just the wrong time to be in the water. But I remember we, we all jumped in, and the first girl that went in the water, like her fin fell off or something. And she started blowing away from the boat and like kind of from the start you're just thinking gosh this is going completely wrong and then i got in the water and i think i was waiting for everybody to kind of get situated and decided that i was going to go swim along the boat anchor line and just for fun like have a look and make sure that it was hooked in nicely or something and as i was swimming down like the the sun went behind the clouds and it got really dark in the water and i just thought nope this is not good i'm turning around and i think while I did that, I happened to look over my shoulder and I'm sure that I saw the back end, the tail end of a, a white shark swimming away from me. And so I rocketed up to the top and I didn't want anybody to freak out kind of unnecessarily. So I was like, all right, guys, we need to get out of the water. Let's do this quickly. And, and then I decided I would tell them afterwards. And um, yeah, I remember going on the radio afterwards and radioing back kind of the home base and saying like, yeah, we, we had to call the, the trip short up sure that I saw a shark in the water and I don't think we should be diving there anymore. Um, and yeah, that story, that was like probably 10 years ago now. And it just feels like the memories have faded a bit. So I, I sometimes wonder if that actually did happen or if I maybe am just imagining it that, that way. But the
0: That's the, the time that. that I am
2: sure <laughs> yes. that I saw a shark, uh, I used to be in into spearfishing and I think these days maybe I'm, I'm not I haven't quite worked out how I feel about the the practice, but I used to be really into it. And a friend of mine was also, he was my diving buddy, but he had kind of just started and I'd been doing it for a while. So he, he wanted me to take him out and he had just gotten all this new gear that he wanted to test out. And so we went to this place that we, that I, one of my favorite kind of little holes in the, the, the bottom of the sea that I like to spearfish. And we were, we're doing this kind of system where you call it one up, one down. So one guy will stay at the surface, the other one will dive down. And the guy at the top can kind of look over him and just make sure if anything happens that you can go and help your buddy. And it was his turn to dive down. And he did this little duck dive where he tried to swim down, but he, he wasn't weighted well enough. So he, he struggled to get underwater. He just kind of flapped around for a bit. And I remember like laughing at him through my snorkel. And then uh, he was like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to work. You can, Dylan, you can go have a dive now. So I was like, okay, cool. Dive down. I did my little duck dive. And as soon as my head was under the water, I looked over my shoulder and there's a white shark swimming past us. And it, I remember it taking like, a, it, what felt like a few seconds to process this and realize what I was looking at. And then I remember being just like completely overwhelmed by how almost majestic it looked and like. Literally, uh, you know, the light glinted off this animal. And I remember being just sort of awestruck by it and then realizing, uh oh,
0: <laughs> this is a shark
2: and this is a big shark. So I, I stood there, sat there with my gun, my spear gun, kind of pointed at it and just something to keep between us. And I watched this shark swim past me and then it swam over to where my friend was. And he kind of chased it off. Um, swam towards it and chased it off and then we grouped together we are panicking we grouped together and kind of looked around to see if it was going to come back for us and then when it didn't we, we swam straight for the shore and I remember grabbing a hold of his arm and just swimming and while we were swimming he, he was like rrr, rrr, rrr. he was trying to mumble something to me and I was like yeah yeah I have you let's go let's go he's like no 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 I can't breathe my snorkel fell out and you've got my hand I can't <laughs> put it back in oh, oh shoot sorry and we, we swam for the shore and we like army crawled over these rocks that normally you would swim around, but we were in such a rush to get out. We just like in all of our gear and our fins still on, just wanted to get on land as quickly as possible. And I remember afterwards just having like one of those big like,
1: ah, just screaming <laughs>
2: because it was such an adrenaline rush. But the whole thing, it felt like an eternity. The whole thing was probably like three seconds of seeing the shark. And nothing happened but it was still the most terrifying three yeah. seconds of my life
1: it's like a primal instinct yeah it's just like oh boy that is that is a big animal with big teeth and i
2: need to mm-hmm. get out of the water yeah i think that's you know i guess we we were safe in the end but there have been people that haven't been safe and so well, isn't spearfishing
0: um known to attract them because once you you uh, you know you catch that fish the way the, the yeah a lot out, of fish in distress is sort of like a signal to the shark to say, uh, let's actually go check that out. Yeah. So
2: the, the sharks have a lot of, they've got most of the senses that humans have. And then they've also got some extra senses and they can detect changes in pressure. They can detect electrical activity. And so when you've got a fish that's flapping around dying, that tends to bring them in. So usually you'll keep your fish on a buoy and a string, like way, you know, you tow it behind you, but way behind you so that, shark does check it out it's it's not close to you some of the oh. old school guys keep them like on their belt next that's to what them. i thought you knew I, oh. those are the ones that get attacked i think yeah it uh. makes sense.
0: i mean let me let me kill all these fish and then make a belt out of them <laughs> yeah and then i'm gonna put
1: it right next to my liver
0: <laughs>
2: yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah jeez no
0: thank you
1: oh man but yeah that's
2: that's the the thing that uh you know so back to the the shark um activists and the fin huggers you know yeah, you can be safe with a shark in the water, but you can also, it can go very wrong for you. And I think part of being in the ocean is you accept the fact that there's a possibility, a very small possibility, but you might come across a shark. And if you do, there's also a possibility that something bad could happen. See, I,
0: I guess it is small. It's a small possibility, but the fact that there is a possibility is enough for me <laughs> to not do it. And there's, there's been a decent amount of sightings of, for, of great white. the the white shark species in only the New Jersey coast, New York and up into like long Island. They're seeing them a lot this past summer. They saw a ton. Um, even the Jersey shore.
2: It sounds like a, um, there used to be a huge population there and it sounds like it's doing really good. And the the numbers are increasing. I think there's some theories that it might even be like a nursery ground. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well
0: now I'm never going in (laughs) the (laughs) Jersey. Not that I, I did, but, um,
2: uh, it's a yeah, sign it, of a healthy ocean, though.
0: It is, yeah. But with the increase in population and the popularity of the Jersey Shore, I'm just wondering when we do encounter some sort of shark attack. Because it seems like a matter of time. You put more people into the, the water. You have more sharks in the water, right? You're going to clash. We're going to clash with them eventually.
2: Um, well, so my, my background is in statistics. So I should be able to tell you the, the probability is better actually don't know that number yeah i don't think i, need I know, to they know they always that. talk about like the things that you're more likely to have happen to you right yes. right yeah. i've seen that too it's like you're more likely yeah. to have like a vending machine fall on you and, hit yeah, it, right. and
0: uh, <laughs> then get eaten by a shark but um i'll take but shot. i always wonder how
2: those stats are so derived like you know for people that never go to the ocean yeah there's probably a that's probably why there's such a small chance but for people that do spend time in the ocean i wonder if it's
1: Yeah, I think think most of those statistics are just based purely on uh, the past. Like there are, you know, so many people alive and only so many people have been bitten or attacked by a shark. And I did look it up. New Jersey did have an article about shark attacks and what the statistics were. And in the United States, it's one in 11.5 million. So just for reference, you're more likely to be struck by lightning which is a one in 700,000.
0: All right. So, so that, that statistic though is taking in what the entire population of the United States, the entire That's population that
1: goes into the ocean that lives oh, near okay. the ocean. I okay.
2: so do consider it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Cause they're not like taking people from it's, it's the amount of people that visit the ocean. So it's not like people that are living in like Kansas. Minnesota, right, in Kansas right. that <laughs> don't have an ocean.
0: Right. Okay. That's still, I mean, someone's got to be that one person. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Someone's got to be that. Not gonna <laughs> be you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It still reminds me of the. Uh, I grew up watching Dumb and Dumber, so. So you're saying there's a chance, Classic but this is the bad movie. way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so to to like mitigate that possibility, um, lots of places around the world have started killing sharks. You probably yeah. Maybe have seen some of the stories in Australia. Here in in South Africa, they've got nets um, along part of the coast and the misconception is that these nets are like a physical barrier and they're they're not, they're open at the top, they're open at the bottom. Animals can freely swim in and out They're They're meant to catch sharks as gill nets and kill them. And um, it's something that you'd think would not be happening in this day and age, but it's, it's been so ingrained. You know, the, the, the part of the coastline, there's a big tourist hotspot. It's got beautiful beaches. And so a lot of the, um, the locals in that area don't want the, the sharks the, the shark nets out of there because they think that it's it's part of the reason that people come to the area because they feel safer there. Um, meanwhile we're killing lots of sharks and earlier there's a question about the consequences of, of not having sharks um, and they're they're huge. so you know, we have sharks at the, the apex position of our our ecosystem and removing just one cascades throughout all of the different levels of the food web, it can have huge impacts. So there's a really famous study that's kind of been contested now about whether it did actually happen, um, but actually comes from, from the East coast of the US where the scallop industry collapsed some years ago. And they figured out that it was because sharks had been overfished and the sharks would normally eat um, cow nose stingrays and then because there were there were fewer sharks there were there's now more room for the, the stingray population to expand and they started overgrazing on all the scallops so you get this cascading effect that builds up in magnitude just from removing sharks and that's the worry that everybody has that we're going to have these huge consequences from not having yeah. sharks
1: do you think that shark week whenever it started has made people more aware of you know the conservation efforts made people appreciate sharks a little bit more and actually done good for the shark community?
2: I don't know. It's, you know, the, those shows all seem to be about the, you know, the the, the teeth and the jaws and stuff, which I suppose it's, it does draw some attention to them, but it's very rarely now about the science and the, the real information. It's more kind of Hollywood style stuff. Yeah. They
0: really went off um, with their shows when I was younger. I mean, and maybe just like 10 years ago or something, it seemed to be more science based and mm-hmm. research based. And now they have like shows like it's like the Megalodon. Is it real? Is it still lurking in the <laughs> yeah. water? Um, well,
1: there's a whole show on mermaids. Right. Where they're yeah. like, and, and actually searching
0: for them. And it's about the shark attacks and it's about, which I, I mean, it could still spark interest um, in someone to do their own research. But to me, I don't think Shark Week is uh, a good source of information at this point. I mean, not
1: information, but it, it More of an awareness. Before Shark Week, people thought that sharks were just like pure killers and that there was nothing good about them. But I think to some extent that, you know, maybe nine out of 10 of the shows are dramatizations about shark attacks or the teeth or the predation. But then there's the one show that is actually talking about how sharks are not necessarily going to attack you because they want to kill you. They're just curious. Two, that they're great for the oceans ecosystem, and three, you know, they're just important to keep around Mm -hmm. for the world's ecosystem.
0: Yeah, um, you can go, Dylan. No, no, no. I didn't really have anything to add there. Uh, One, one thing that I wanted to get to get back on was uh, Australia. You had mentioned that Australia are they killing sharks now? I know that's oh yeah. So is that that country seems to have the, the largest issues with? human shark interactions and shark attacks right
2: yeah so that's that's the story they i think they had a a really bad year of shark attacks maybe two or three years ago i can't remember now when it was that poor island can't catch every animal yeah they went out and um and started culling them so they the government issued a, a kill order for for sharks and was paying fishermen to go out and kill them and i think the the unfortunate part of that story is that a large majority of the sharks that they caught and killed were not sharks that were responsible for attacking humans. So they're just killing things innocently sort of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is counter to what it's counter to conservation and it's counter to keeping people safe. Right. So isn't the the thought process like with any um, man eating animal is that you kill that one. So it doesn't pass on those, uh, the taste for human flesh to its offspring and create this man-eating <laughs> branch of the species. That's sort of the idea, right? Behind
2: you, Yeah. They are, they're, they're looking for like problematic animals, individuals. Right,
0: right, right,
2: right.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's not necessarily that that animal has that one characteristic. It's just that they're wild, but the, so yeah, I, I mean, I am going go to Shark, yeah, I'm gonna go back to Shark Week for a second because they do have several episodes on how to new technologies that are used to prevent sharks from entering a swimming area without Mm -hmm. killing them, without using nets, using more like sonar or acoustic deterrence. And I always thought that was really interesting.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of work now being done to look for alternative solutions to the nets and the drum lines and things that kill them. Um, Magnets was looked into for a while. Uh, Shark shield is this electrical device that you can attach to yourself and it emits a pulse Um, but a lot of the the research that's been done to test these things it looks like they actually to an extent draw in sharks so you know at the um, a shark can sense this and when it's far enough away it's actually it creates a curiosity for them they want to go check it out and then only when they're close enough does it have the the, uh, deterring effect and scare them off so i don't know if i would if i would put one of those things on or not what about uh, isn't like chainmail? the ideal <laughs> idea
0: thing yeah I remember, right? new
2: chainmail swimsuits there's some woman that goes and and does work with a chainmail wetsuit yeah i don't know I, I wouldn't want all that weight on me in the water uh, no. yeah no i'd be terrified a driving, lot of then. yeah a lot of being in the water especially free diving is that you are like you're in the element and you're you're able to move around freely you're not bogged down by some heavy equipment or anything
1: yeah it, one of the most iconic great whites is, I think it's her name is Lucy, right? She's like one of the largest female great whites to ever be recorded. She's like eighteen or nineteen feet long, and I know like
0: there's 2500 one they Deep Blue. That's, oh, yeah. okay. Like I think that's it. Yeah,
2: yeah. One of the, I think it's either in Guadalupe or Hawaii that they they see her a lot. Wait, what? Hawaii? Really?
0: Yeah. I think okay, they had so the, uh,
2: the um. The West Coast US population of sharks, they um, spend a bit of time in their life history in California and then they swim out to like midway between the US and Hawaii, there's this area. Nobody really knows what the, the animals are doing there. There's a few theories that they are feeding or that they're mating. And I think both, um, both research camps that have, have kind of identified this area sort of fight between what it actually is and, and what they'll call it. They call it the shared offshore foraging area, I think. Hmm. It's out in the middle of the ocean. Nobody knows why the sharks are there, what they're doing. Hmm. But it seems that a lot of the sharks in California and off the coast of Mexico every couple years go and spend a bit of time there. It's crazy
0: how much we still don't know about hmm. sharks and and marine wildlife, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, So my it's theory just hard to... is that
2: um, sharks are very charismatic things. So for a long time it was enough to just put a tag on one and then say, Oh, this is where it went. Isn't this cool? Isn't this science? Yeah. And, and we got away with that. But now, you know, scientists are being asked or being sort of demanded to, um, to do more in the way of studying them and ask real questions and test real hypotheses and things. So I think we're, we're, we're starting to catch up with a lot of the other science, terrestrial science and that kind of thing, where we do seem to know a lot more about the animals but there's so much that we don't know about sharks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you get a chance, look up Lucy, she's a 17 foot great white from, and she primarily lives in off the islands of Guadalupe. Um, But she, she looks like she's, yeah, she looks like she's been around for ages. She's got scars all over her body. (laughs) It's just really cool. Um, But there's, I think there's someone else on Instagram who primarily follows Lucy and does a lot of dives in Guadalupe.
2: Just how I became mm-hmm. familiar with her. Really, interesting. yeah. Those, they always have the Guadalupe sharks have the reputation for being big, massive animals. Um, that's one of the, the the issues with with my work here is that we we really only see like the sub adult juvenile range. We don't really know where the big ones go or if they're even around. Um, so it it could be that they they're going somewhere offshore here, and that's why we need these kind of tags to be put on them so we can figure it out but we don't don't have any at the moment and they the ones that we do put out don't seem to last long enough We uh, we did see one shark here though that swam from here to australia and back that was a famous one she's named nicole oh yeah her and some of your, your research there so yeah there's a there's also some controversial evidence some of the scientists here think that uh, we do have a shared population with australia some some of them don't but i know that We've definitely seen one from our tagged individuals that swam there. And then I know some of the genetic work is based on the genetics of the sharks. They found two sharks in Australia that matched with the sharks that we have here in South Africa. So it seems that they're moving, but we don't know if they're mating and whether they are actually a shared population.
1: Okay. And one question I wanted to get to before I I want to transition into your career path and how you got to where you are. (laughs) But yeah. We talked about Shark Week a lot. Have you seen some of the breachings like you, around Seal Island, you said you could see it up, up, up to 30 in the morning. Have you documented and
2: researched the breachings? Uh, no, um, it's never been, it's always been something that's really cool and fascinating, but for me to study it, you would have to, it, you, know, it, you know, it would be a cool academic exercise, but it wouldn't really solve anything about our relationship with sharks understanding how they breach doesn't really make it so that we can be more safe with them or something. So it's not really a question that I would spend too much time on. I've definitely seen my, my fair share of them and it's not, I promise you it's something that never gets old. <laughs> do do we see, know
0: why they do it in, in South Africa, but they don't do it you know, off the Jersey coast?
2: Um, you know, I don't. It's probably related to what they're eating. I know that they're, they're hunting seals in other parts of the world. Um, but, but yeah but even California be,
0: right they're yeah. not breaching in California where there's tons no, of really so
2: California they're eating big I think it's elephant seals there yeah and those are massive animals which you a shark wouldn't really be able to breach and I think that they they don't swim at the surface like the seals that we get here do so it's a different style of hunting where those they tend to bite the seal and then let it bleed out and wait for it to die and then they go back and eat it whereas here it's an ambush and they're trying to get it um, so th- there's actually been a lot of work done into looking at this and so seals are incredibly agile animals and you can go out and snorkel with them and you'll see them they kind of practice their evasive maneuvers, so they'll, they'll hop out of the water and do these acrobatic twists and turns um, so seals are actually really good at getting away from sharks and so that's why the shark needs to have this ambush attack. So they've found that if the shark doesn't successfully kill the seal in that first moment, the seal actually has a really good chance of surviving and getting away because they can outmaneuver a shark. So a shark relies on that quick ambush attack with the, you know an element of surprise. And then um, if it doesn't, it probably loses that's- out on a meal.
0: Could you imagine being a seal and just getting attacked by like this 18 foot torpedo with the sharpest teeth in the uh, animal kingdom? Imagine that.
2: That's your day. Like you you drive to work and you have to worry about something jumping out and eating yeah. it every
0: day. Out of nowhere. Out of
2: nowhere. I, I, but wouldn't mind.
1: you rather have that? Like it's instantaneous. I know there's an, always Not a yet, threat of it, so. but it's like it's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but the psychological yeah, you game. Want like yeah, I want those
0: seals one. definitely saw their buddies get taken out that way. And <laughs> they probably have some PTSD. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wonder how the
2: seals will eventually try to evolve to uh, counter that. There's, there's been some work into it. So they, they call it the selfish <laughs> herd. They, um, they'll, they basically travel in groups as much as they can. And the idea is that, you know, if there's more people around you, more seals around you, then you're spreading out the risk kind of. I would, yeah. Or maybe this,
0: looking like you're a larger animal. Does that help?
2: Yeah. That could be it too. Yeah. Or yeah, it, it, it's the, the shark maybe gets confused and doesn't know which one to target. And then um, there's also some work done on whether the seals use kelp as sort of a refuge and they'll, they'll oh, do yeah. as much traveling in the kelp as they can before they have to do those runs out in the open ocean. That's so cool. It is.
1: But yeah. So can you talk about So we're a travel podcast, right? And the main purpose of this, of what Bob and I do is to help people get an idea of what they can do, like young adults, even people that want to transition careers and travel more. Um, you've been in South Africa for 10 years doing this research with the Sabre Seas Foundation and Cape Rad, which we'll get into Cape Rad in a little bit. But what was your career path from high school to college, and how did you end up in South Africa? Because you were originally from the Maryland area, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's actually a, a good story, and um, hopefully your viewers will find informative. So I, I think like most people from our generation— really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And I don't know if that's because I had too much opportunity or or what, but I always, you know, I find myself, if I'm at a restaurant or something and there's a menu that's like a whole book, I struggle to decide on what I'm going to eat because there's too many options. And I think, yeah, you know, I was raised and my parents said, oh, you can be anything. And because of that, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. And so I was probably like, a lot of kids encouraged to be a doctor, go make a career that's very lucrative and profitable and buy my parents a nice big house when I hit the big, big bucks. So I studied biology with the intention of being med school, but I very really quickly realized that I didn't want to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up graduating, not really knowing what I wanted to do. So I, I found it was like an email in my university's, um, student newsletter thing that mentioned this opportunity to come out and study white sharks and learn how to, to study white sharks. And so I jumped on it, jumped at the, the opportunity to do that and came out here. It was originally just a three-month thing that I was going to do and then go back and try to get a job um, back home in the States. And when I got here, I think it was a couple things. I think first realizing that I had this passion for marine science my entire life and now finally kind of identifying it and identifying it as a possible career goal. That was sort of like a duh kind of moment and slap me in the face kind of thing. And I think realizing that here, and then also just the the incredible beauty of this area um, kind of solidified that and and made me realize that I wanted to stay. So I I did go back home after that, and then eventually got invited to come back and work for this company. And that brought me to a little town called Mossel Bay. And I worked there for a while, and for a long time, actually, was hugely afraid of missing out on that. You know, when I would fly home, I would have I have dreams of like flying back home and not being able to get back to South Africa and continue living this awesome life, doing these cool things. Um, But then I think eventually I I decided on my more academic pathway in this career, and was realizing that I wasn't really learning as much anymore. So I decided to. Do a master's degree, and now I'm doing a PhD, and that's brought me over to Cape Town, where we started Cape Rad, which is a very similar sort of training program for students that want to get into marine science. So we try to teach them and give them practical experience that they might not get in their in their classroom at the university, and we'll take them out scuba diving and show them, teach them how to how you collect the type of data that we work with. How you analyze it and, and actually collect that for real research projects. So students usually come out here for a month and we do a lot of diving, we do a bit of classroom stuff and and just generally try to have fun with it. And then we also you know, through being involved with the ocean are always trying to promote engagement and awareness about the ocean and plastic pollution that kind of thing. So we do regular trips where we try to recruit citizen scientists so anybody that wants to come snorkeling with us, when they come snorkeling with us, we count all the fish that we see and, and try to teach them a little bit more about what they're seeing and why it's so unique and have them also help collect data. So we've got a little fish map on our website. If you come snorkeling with us, you, you've got your little mark in science and it shows how many fish you saw there and what day it was. And that's all stuff that that we can use to, to better understand what's going on in our oceans and and whether, you know, we make marine protected areas and and whether those are actually working, those kinds of things, questions. That's really cool. And I think that you're, we're seeing an
0: increase um, in interest in ocean conservation, in being conscious, you know, consciousness, in being conscious on (laughs) uh, plastic pollution. And so, yeah, that, It seems to be the direction that we're going as a population.
2: I think especially here, it's something that that I've been home a few times over the last couple of years. And there's a a huge community here of um, plastic aware people that are using the the glass straws and reusable straws and opting out of takeaway cups for their coffee and um, bringing their own carrier bags to the grocery store to do their shopping. Um, it's really picked up here, and I think more than it has in the U.S. I think the U.S. is actually a little bit behind on on dropping the probably. single-use plastics. Yeah, yeah,
0: probably. But it, it, at least we're getting there. Uh, that just makes me happy. That it, it. I mean, we're getting there with younger generations. It's not going to take mm-hmm. effect until you know my generation, and then all the generations behind me seem to.
2: To force it into do you place. Guys, do you see um, like beach cleans and stuff happening more and more? We've got we almost every weekend there's an, a group that's organized to go clean up a beach somewhere here that we're we're usually involved with. And it's it's happening every weekend. It's crazy.
0: I think the motivation for beach cleaning in New Jersey is purely uh, economic and not <laughs> out of the not out of the kindness of their hearts. Yeah.
2: Or or like, look what I did.
0: Yeah. I helped. Yeah, yeah. No, I
2: think that that's kind of the the sad story about a lot of of conservation stuff, and that's part of the reason we do it is to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: and that's also part of the reason that it hasn't caught on as as much as other uh, aspects of conservation. It's because there's not a lot of economic gain, and that seems to be yeah. the reason. You know, that's the reason green technologies aren't taking off yet. And unfortunately, it's an unfortunate yeah, they can be expensive and right. so yeah. The, the, One-
1: I wanted the plastic issue, and I don't know if New Jersey has done this yet, where they banned plastic straws or plastic bags in grocery stores, but a lot of Western states have done that, and I I think Pennsylvania actually regressed a little bit in the last year, so there there was a big movement in the Westchester area, just outside of Philly, to... these young high school students and elementary school students wanted to pass a plastic bag ban in their community and only allow people to use reusable bags or paper bags that could be recycled and right after they all agreed and the township passed it there was a state bill that prevented the passing of ban laws for plastic bags (laughs) So is we there went like backwards. a big
2: plastic bag manufacturer there or something? There, there, yeah. there or must be. And I, I think a lot
1: of, I don't know, I don't know why the ban on bans was put in place, but it didn't make any sense to me since there seems to be a, you know, a statewide movement to get rid of plastic bags.
0: Th- this, you, you that is, you can be see that throughout the country. It's insane what's going on right now. Did you see the, the federal government, the EPA is now trying to, um, remove California's ability to set their own emission standards because they want to increase car sales and make it, you know, they want to re- relax regulations on, on the automobile industry. And so now you have states suing the EPA because states want stricter environmental regulation. Yeah. And that's the state of the United States right now, as far as, uh, you know, environmental practices and conservation goes. So that's where we are. Um, we could have an entire podcast on that. <laughs> yes, we So, but so one thing that I, I did want to talk to you about, um, was and that I do think we're progressing in is this the idea around SeaWorld and like Marine Land? Are you familiar with? Yeah, um, of course. So do you do you I'm, follow this guy who's fighting Marine Land um, in Canada?
2: No, I haven't heard of Marine. I know SeaWorld, obviously.
0: I don't know Marine yeah. Land. Yeah. So Canada, um I think, is banning. Are they banning all s- SeaWorlds or something like that? They're making it. Or no, they're they're done. They've banned, I think, orca and dolphin captivity in the entire country. Okay, um, which Seems is pretty a good, positive, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to
2: hear your thoughts on dolphin captivity well, and, and what you think I've about. I've got to confess. So, I, a few years ago, there's a there's a place, a big aquarium here in Durban called Ushaka, and they have a dolphin show. And I remember going to this aquarium, thinking, you know, I'm with every everything I've ever learned tells me that I'm not supposed to support this kind of thing. But we went to this dolphin show and I remember having a grin across my face. It was, it was really fun to see these dolphins doing these tricks. Uh, That being said, yes, I know that it's horrible and no, I don't think that I support it, but it is, it's a tricky discussion because there is a lot of positive that comes from um, bringing this world to, you know, making the the marine world accessible to people and and using it as a teaching tool and and creating awareness for the ocean. But yeah, you know, when we start putting animals in captivity and and small enclosures, that is definitely not something that that we should be doing. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, I think SeaWorld gets a lot of flack for it, but zoos are not really so different. But I suppose the difference is that zoos often do a little bit more research or that they're not just displaying these animals, they are studying them and that kind of thing.
1: I think zoos are getting a lot more flack now, too, in terms of keeping larger animals that Mm -hmm. need a lot of space. Like there was a recent, I think, Bob, you actually shared this with me. There was a zoo in Germany that actually encloses uh, brown bears or grizzly bears with wolves. And they typically live together without issue but for whatever reason the bears you know attacked and mauled one of the wolves and just like completely decimated it but people are fighting back against zoos i mean we had someone on who is an elephant conservationist and she is pushing back against keeping elephants in captivity and pushing them more towards sanctuaries like in the one in tennessee and to talk Um, briefly the Canada ban bans all as you said captive whales and dolphins minus the sixty that are currently in captivity
2: right okay, okay. Yeah, I know the the uh, the Durban aquarium they they don't capture animals anymore all of the, the dolphins that they have are born in captivity, but that's that's also another debate there yeah. Yes. <laughs> We've got, so one of the big things that goes on here is um, obviously you associate Africa with safaris and that kind of thing. So there's lots of uh, animal encounter type activities that you can do where you can walk with elephants or you walk with lions and cheetahs and things. And, um, you know, these animals get so conditioned that they eventually need to be, uh, they they can't return them to the wild. So they, they have to look after them. And so some of them get sold off to, like canned hunting farms they call it so it'll be an animal that you can pay money to go kill but it's it's so conditioned to humans that it's not really even scared of the hunter anymore or it's not even you know in a big open savannah somewhere it's in a tiny little plot of land that they go and shoot them on
0: right i've i've I seen that it,
2: that problem with zoos
0: no no, no. that's something that garth i, I... A guy that we had on recently um, shared with us, uh, yeah. Essentially, these these trainers are raising these animals, yeah, um, turning them. You know, they're they love people. They are associating people with food, and then they release them to this hunting ground, and the lion will just you know trot right up to a person with a rifle. And
2: uh, yeah, so we they've also got sanctuaries for a lot of these types of um, places too. So you know, some a game farm with a lot of land will go and and take on these animals, which, yeah, I think that, that's probably the solution to, or at least the nice, um, sort of, you know, a, a middle ground between zoos and, and captivity, where if you're, if you're rescuing animals, then maybe that would be the opportunity to, to educate people about them. I and mean, you can come and see them in the sanctuary, but yeah, I don't know that, that zoos are really appropriate anymore. I agree.
1: So speaking of marine sanctuaries in 2016, Brief, well, shortly before Obama left office, he created the largest contiguous marine sanctuary in the world. Yeah. It was something that uh, George W. Bush had established, I think 10 years prior. and Obama like quadrupled the size of it. so it's over almost 600,000 square miles of land and sea near Hawaii, and it's absolutely massive.
2: Yeah, I think the the United Nations goal is to have 10% of, it's either of coastlines or of the whole ocean protected by next year. And um, I think that that declaration put the U.S. on pace to meet that goal. And we've done a similar thing here in South Africa. They've also recently declared a lot of new marine protected areas as well. Um, It's just a matter of whether they're actually policed or not. Hopefully it is something that... We can go out and and patrol and make sure that nobody's fishing in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we greatly appreciate you joining us. Well, morning for us. Yeah. uh, yeah. Afternoon for you, (laughs) but before you go, um, for people that are interested in marine conservation and travel, can you give some advice to an aspiring marine biologist? Mm.
2: Well, I think the the thing that we don't do enough or that we don't really do in the States is a gap year. And that was a completely new thing to me to learn about in, in, in traveling. And that's where you, you, between high school and university, take a year off and kind of discover yourself by traveling and seeing new cultures and meeting new people. And I think that's something that should be pushed in the U.S. I think the reason that I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do is because I didn't have these experiences around the world. And it was only in traveling that I did find what I wanted to do. So I would recommend people that are in the middle of their college applications, parents probably aren't going to appreciate it, but tell them you want to take a year off, go travel somewhere exotic and, and meet new people, meet different parts of of the world and different cultures and try to learn something about yourself in doing that, and, and that will put you miles ahead of, of your peers in college and university that haven't seen that, haven't had those experiences. I really wish that we had gap years and that I had done a gap year. I think I would be a lot of, a lot more sure of what I wanted to do in college and study and not have wasted four years, not necessarily wasted, but you know, farted around in college for four years not knowing what I wanted to study. Yeah. I could not agree with that more. <laughs> I wish I did it. And then, yeah, in terms of uh, getting involved with the ocean, yeah, you know, go spend time in the ocean, around the ocean, and looking at things, and, and get involved with science. Anybody can do science, and we're, we're sort of in an age where, not necessarily an age, um, we're, we're in the midst of a, a global biodiversity crisis. I hate to tell, like, these kind of substrate things, but lots of animals around the world, populations are in decline. And the solution to this, I think, is to arm citizens with the tools and the knowledge to, to study it themselves so that they can see what's out there and that they can help by collecting data. And so go out and, and, and you know, go for a dive or go for a hike and get an app like iNaturalist where you can take pictures and, and record these observations and, and um, help us better understand what life is out there and where it is and how we can best protect it. Yeah,
0: and and so if for people listening to this, I'm going to assume that they have at least some sort of interest in ocean conservation or or sharks. And can you direct them to all of your social media accounts? And if yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, so that's aspiring to do what you do. How can they get in contact? with
2: My you? my personal Instagram is at Dylan Erion and that's really the only thing I'm active on. I don't I haven't done Twitter or anything yet. Can I um, ask there's a few? Yeah. Before you get into the other ones,
0: why is your profile picture a pickle?
2: Uh, well, <laughs> when that? I was younger, I was dill pickle. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, a weird story. So okay. I find um, you'll probably also have noticed that a lot of my Instagram is pictures of broccoli randomly. And I happened to be cooking once and had this cut up broccoli stock and just thought it looked cool. I thought it actually looked like a coral. And so I took a uh-huh. picture of it and <laughs> Ended up kind of going off the deep end and taking pictures of every single one, and then I also had a little pickle one that I was like, yeah, "That looks kind of cool. Let me take a picture of it." And that became the profile picture. So yeah, that's that's how you'll find me by looking for the, <laughs> the dill pickle. Here they call pickles here here gherkins. Nobody knows okay. what a dill pickle is. Huh. Um, that's funny. And then yeah, if you want to follow our Cape Rad story, that's at. Cape Rad with two Ds. So it's Cape Research and Diver Development. And if there are anybody, any students out there listening that are aspiring marine scientists, check out our course and and come join us for a month and we'll show you some really beautiful diving in the kelp forests here and teach you about how marine science works and and practically what it involves. And you'll get to spend a month in a beautiful part of the world. So that's at Cape Rad. I think we're on, yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Um, I've been doing a, a series of videos lately trying to use Lego to teach biodiversity concepts. So oh. look out for some of those vids. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's yeah, I think Elliot and I like
0: to do, uh, we have this new thing where we're going to try to do some guide trips every, every few years or so. Yeah. I, think, I think meeting you one year yeah, come down. A really I'll, idea. I'll hopefully yes. be
2: able to show you some sharks. Oh yeah, yes, I activity. love sharks. <laughs> I'll stay I on the sharks. Boat. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That being said, um, I find that you see more when if you go out on a cage diving boat, you tend to have a better experience on the boat than in the water. I believe.
0: My wife will be happy to hear that because when we went <laughs> to Hawaii, she didn't get in the cage because she was pregnant. It was like sort of like our baby moon, so mm-hmm. she watched from the boat, and she did. She had some really good pictures, but I'll yeah, I'll tell her that.
2: A better perspective above than you do when you're looking mm-hmm. like horizontally in the water. Right. Yeah.
0: My head was on a swivel. That was one of. The, it was a really cool experience. <laughs> and those weren't even great whites. And so I couldn't imagine actually doing it with like man-eating sharks. Um, yeah. It was neat because they the they didn't bait the water or anything. Those sharks. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You so were the bait. That's one of the big yeah. controversies well, here well, the, is that they use bait and chum. What they did was the boats that take you out use the same engines. Uh, that the fishing boats use. And so when you have a fishing boat idling, doing whatever they're doing, throwing scraps in the water, um, the sharks learn to come. And then those those tour boats ended up just
2: getting the same motor as those fishing boats. So when they would idle, okay. the sharks would come in looking for food. That's cool. We've got a similar story with um, one of the dive sites here is very close to a launch site for a lot of the fishing boats. And so when they come into the slipway, these big giant stingrays usually follow them in. So when we, oh. we take the dive boat in, sometimes we see those. That's, That's cool. Awesome. Yeah, That's I would cool. love to get out there one day. Yeah.
0: Um, all right, cool. man. Well, th- thank you very much. It was awesome talking to you, awesome meeting you. I learned a lot
2: today. Yeah, it was, uh, thanks for having me. I hope, yeah, I hope that I was able to share some information. It's good to be on the show.
0: So with your newfound knowledge on sharks, are you more or less likely to wear a SEAL costume and jump into the Atlantic Ocean like I know you've always talked about?
1: I still do it. Yeah? Yeah, I've always done it. Every year, it's just like, uh, can I make it? Right. I want right. to live the life of a fur seal and try to make it across from Seal Island
0: to Cape Town. Well, I think when you do it, we should link back up with Dylan. We'll go to South Africa, and we can sort of string you along on a boat. And this way, it, when It we- looks real. Yeah. Well, when you ultimately do die, I, we get an awesome glimpse of the aerial shark. And so, you know, uh, science wins with new research information. I win cause I'll get really cool pictures. The shark wins because it gets to eat. Um, so I don't and, really think. Anybody- and I win
1: because I don't need my body to science.
0: Exactly. So yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else to add?
1: <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, it was an awesome conversation. And I think yeah. the importance of shark conservation and marine wildlife conservation is important and I don't think we focus on it enough. I think there's more awareness every single day, which is positive. And I think generations such as Gen X, Millennial, and Gen Z are going to find
0: this stuff to be very important to them. Yeah. And with Dylan's uh, program, Cape Rad, I think that is the perfect way for people to test the waters, so to speak, and uh, you know sign up for something that might be a month long and you get this overview of what it means to be a marine biologist the type of uh, issues that these these animals are facing and you can decide at that point whether or not you want to pursue a career in it but to be able to take that leap year like Dylan talked about and try it and and see what it's like and see if it's something that you enjoy is huge and it allows you to uh, I don't know have an opportunity on something that you might not or you definitely would not have had if you just stayed at home
1: Absolutely. And before we get into the trivia question, I want to remind everyone that you could please give us a rating or drop us a line, as in email us, shoot us a DM on Instagram, message us on Facebook, join our Travelers Blueprint community page. And now, Bob, what is our trivia question for this week?
0: All right, guys. So what U.S. industry nearly collapsed due to overfishing and killing of sharks? Dylan talked about it. uh, and Shoot us an email. Yeah, if you have the answer, shoot us an email, and we will pick three people at random to receive a Traveler's Blueprint sticker.
1: And you'll get recognized on our Instagram story. Yes. All All right. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.